an absurdist playwright from a fairy tale city famous for its proliferation of artists and musicians, jailed three times for political subversion, his work banned from being performed in his own country? That might be an unusual choice for a president, especially the first president of a newly independent and democratic country after the fall of a communist regime. But that's the story of Václav Havel. Because of his unwavering commitment to human rights, he went on to be one of the most important voices for freedom of expression in the 20th century. This is the Makers and Mystics Profile Series, Episode 30. I'm author-illustrator Vesper Stamper, and I'll be your guest host for today's show. Václav Havel was born in Prague in 1936 to a wealthy family devoted to the arts. His father and grandfather were real estate developers who were focused on cultural spaces. His father built a cinema, and his uncle was a film producer and studio executive. They were highly connected to the intelligentsia of the time. But when the Communist Party took over Czechoslovakia in 1948, the entire citizenry was stripped of their property, including Havel's family. The cinema, the studio, their other developments, everything. And because of his family's upper-class or bourgeois status, Václav was disallowed from pursuing an education in writing and began working as a chemical laboratory assistant. Even though the United Nations had passed the Declaration of Human Rights the same year as the Soviet takeover of Czechoslovakia, the citizens enjoyed none of its tenets. Besides property seizure and blacklisting, torture, imprisonment, and execution were common. Freedom of religion was eliminated, and the right to speak, travel, or vote freely was a sad and distant memory. Despite this, Václav Havel eventually went to night school and came into the theater through working as a stagehand. He began writing poetry and essays about film, art, and literature, and eventually his own plays. He kept close connections with other artists, even those whose works had been banned, and visited them at great risk to himself. When he was only 20 years old, he had his first public performance, which he used to advocate for banned artists. By the time he was 23, Havel's writing was being published. During the 1960s, tensions and censorship began to relax, and a boom of creativity hit Prague. The communist leadership wanted to promote what they called socialism with a human face. Havel staged his first play, The Garden Party, an absurdist play about the tendency, when one starts parroting ideological platitudes, to erase his or her individual identity. It was a rousing success with international performances and acclaim. The next five years saw Havel's star rise as a playwright, and in 1968, during the height of this creative period, which was dubbed the Prague Spring, he was permitted to travel to the United States to see his play, The Memorandum, performed at the Public Theater in New York. However, the Prague Spring was not to last. In August of 1968, tanks rolled into Czechoslovakia, bringing in a quarter million Russian troops aimed at curtailing this profligate freedom. Books were shredded, films banned, and artists and students incarcerated. And in a bitter twist of language that seemed to come from one of Havel's own plays, this campaign was given the name Normalization. Havel gave a series of radio appeals in protest against the invasion, appealing to international writer colleagues like Jean-Paul Sartre 
and Samuel Beckett to join in the outcry. This resulted in his phone being tapped, being followed by the secret police, and ultimately his plays were banned from being performed anywhere in Czechoslovakia. He and his wife Olga had to move to the countryside where he had to work in a brewery because, as a dissident, over 90% of his income was confiscated by the state, and he was prohibited from leaving Czechoslovakia. Under normalization, and in the communist countries generally, non-approved literature was outlawed. Homemade copies of books, plays, and other writings were produced by anyone with a typewriter and carbon paper, and passed secretly from person to person. These homemade books were called Samizdat. Václav and his friends were so passionate about the power of literature that they produced almost 300 editions of Samizdat books in an ersatz imprint called Expedition Editions. In 1977, Václav Havel and other signatories released a manifesto that they called Charter 77, detailing human rights abuses, particularly the censorship and surveillance of artists, writers, and musicians in Czechoslovakia. The charter was smuggled out of the country via Samizdat copies, and the next day, it was published in many of the top newspapers around the world. The Czech communist government was exposed for the world to see. After the release of Charter 77, Havel's mentor and co-sponsor of the charter, Jan Patochka, was subjected to a brutal interrogation which resulted in his death by stroke. Havel himself was constantly surveilled and interrogated by the police, and during this time, he wrote what might be his most enduring work, an essay called The Power of the Powerless. In contrast to Charter 77's expose of the government, The Power of the Powerless is an exploration of what causes people to self-censor instead of standing up against control and injustice. Havel introduces the character of an everyday greengrocer who one day decides not to go along with the program. He writes, The manager of a fruit and vegetable shop places in his window among the onions and carrots the slogan, Workers of the World Unite. Why does he do it? I think it can be safely assumed that the overwhelming majority of shopkeepers never think about the slogans they put in their windows. That poster was delivered to the greengrocer from the Enterprise headquarters, along with the onions and carrots. Let us now imagine that one day something in our greengrocer snaps, and he stops putting up the slogans. He begins to say what he really thinks at political meetings. In this revolt, the greengrocer steps out of living within the lie. He discovers once more his suppressed identity and dignity. He gives his freedom a concrete significance. His revolt is an attempt to live within the truth. After The Power of the Powerless was published, Havel was arrested just a few short months later and spent almost four years in prison, where he almost died of untreated pneumonia. Once again, the international network of artists spoke up on his behalf, and he was released. What makes someone, a single everyday artist, for example, willing to endure this kind of suffering? Havel recalls in Power of the Powerless, You do not become a dissident just because you decide one day to take up this most unusual career. You are thrown into it by your personal sense of responsibility, combined with a complex set of external circumstances. 
it begins as an attempt to do your work well and ends with being branded an enemy of society. Despite continued persecution, Václav Havel continued to be a tireless voice of advocacy for democracy and freedom in Czechoslovakia. In fact, he gained such moral authority from his consistent stance that in 1989, when the communist government finally fell in Czechoslovakia and the entire Eastern Bloc, Václav Havel was unanimously elected president of the newly formed Czech Republic and presided over the reopening and reformation of his beloved country. He met with dignitaries, artists, and spiritual leaders all over the world, including Pope John Paul II, who became a close friend. Life conditions for Christians under the Czech regime were some of the hardest in the Eastern Bloc. Even though Václav Havel spoke passionately about the need for religious freedom, his own relationship with faith was complex. When he was in prison, he took part in clandestine Catholic masses. He said of his friend John Paul, who had survived Polish communism, every conversation I had with the Pope, no matter what it was about, was like confession. And always, after this confession and the implied absolution that went with it, I felt as if I had been born anew. But at the root of Havel's understanding of human rights was a belief in what he called the respect of man for that which transcends him. He had a sense that humanity as a whole had a set of universal longings and morals, but even more, a universal story. He said, It seems as if something like an antenna were picking up signals from a physically indeterminable transmitter that contains the experience of the entire human race. If democracy is not only to survive, but to expand and resolve conflicts of cultures, then in my opinion, it must rediscover and renew its own transcendental origins. It must renew its respect for that non-material order which is not only above us, but also in us and among us, and which is the only possible and reliable source of man's respect for himself, for others, for the order of nature, for the order of humanity, and thus for secular authority as well. The loss of this respect always leads to loss of respect for everything else, from the laws people have made for themselves to the lives of their neighbors and of our living planet. Given its fatal incorrigibility, humanity probably will have to go through many more Rwandas and Chernobyls before it understands how unbelievably short-sighted a human being can be who has forgotten that he is not God. Václav Havel was first and foremost an artist. His commitment to the truth and his understanding of the power of words meant that he could write a morally clear precept-upon-precept precept essay or charter one minute, or its inverse, an absurdist play about the corruption of language the next. And he was not simply an artist for art's sake. He saw both his art and his political activity as being in service to the truth, the truth which did not originate with him or with any man, but originated with the truth that transcends humanity and thus can make demands upon it to live truthfully. Just before his election to the presidency, Havel gave an acceptance speech for the Peace Prize of the German Booksellers Association. He said, In the beginning was the word. So it states on the first page of one of the most important books known to us. What is meant in that book 
is that the Word of God is the source of all creation. And indeed, words can be said to be the very source of our being, and in fact the very substance of the cosmic life form we call man. If the Word of God is the source of God's entire creation, then that part of God's creation which is the human race exists as such only thanks to another of God's miracles, the miracle of human speech. We should all fight together against arrogant words and keep an eye out for any insidious germs of arrogance in words that are seemingly humble. Responsibility for and towards words is situated beyond the horizon of the visible world, in that realm wherein dwells the word that was in the beginning and is not the word of man. Thank you for listening to today's episode. If you'd like to learn more about the Makers and Mystics podcast or to join our creative collective, be sure to see the show notes of this episode or visit makersandmystics.com. You can find out more about my work as an author-illustrator at my website, vesperillustration.com, and follow me on Instagram at vesperillustration, or subscribe to my podcast, Vesperisms, where we explore what it means to think like an artist. Thanks, and see you next time.